Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? We're back, baby. Uh, Double header tonight. The NBA is back in full swing. Um, It looks weird in the home stadiums. You know, the Warriors and the Nets squared off in in Brooklyn, and now we have the Battle of L.A. ongoing right now. It's a two-point game in the third quarter. It's fun to be back. It's different than the bubble basketball because you can see a lot more empty seats because they're, of course, playing in their actual stadiums. But I think, you know, for the most part, the league is always doing a good job about, like, presentation. And, you know, two games in, you see the rust. But at the same time, you also see it still being the same quality of play that we've come to expect. I'm just glad they got the floors back, the home court (laughs) feel. That was my biggest problem with the bubble, as I mentioned multiple times, is that you couldn't. Like they had those stupid overlays uh, with the logos. Yeah. Wouldn't be bothered, at least in the conference finals or the finals, to put in the actual baseline. And um, so it feels good to actually have them back in their home arenas. The broadcast has not been good, though. Uh, the audio's been funky. Marv Albert yeah. in the first game was just tripping over his words. He, um, he talked about Joe Smith, the rookie on the Warriors in 1970. <laughs> in the 90s, like I remember watching him play. And I had to go on Twitter and look it up and see, like, I wasn't going crazy. Like, he was just literally, I don't know how you make that mistake, like, just pulling out a completely different gear. Um, and he was bad. But other than that, I, I think it's nice to have that. I think that has less to do with coronavirus and more to do with Marv Albert and uh, how it's just about time for him to hang it up. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, but I agree, though. Like, I think the even during the Nets-Warriors game, I was freaking out because I was like, is my TV screwed up? Because I kept hearing the rim yeah. uh, before the shot actually went in. And it was like one of the annoying things about streaming is that can sometimes happen with the internet lacking. But I'm actually on cable, and I was like, okay, that seems odd. And then I, I also went to Twitter, and several writers and whoever were just complaining about it. I was like, okay, this is good. You know what? The league needs to get into midseason form as well, just like the players. I mean, you saw – in game one, the 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 Nets took took the Warriors to town basically in a in a very it was a it was an interesting night just because of Duran and Curry facing off and you know the Warriors were dominant for so long the Nets were the laughing stock forever and ever and now the roles have completely switched. Um, before we get to tonight's action and looking forward to the season. One of the prevailing things that was uh, a driving force towards starting the season as early as they did, trying to get in as many games as they did, is because of the declining revenues in the league, right? Like, there's no fans. Obviously, the the, the end of the, the bubble season had a, a major impact, you know, just in terms of cost of, of setting all of that up. And so revenue was going to be of concern. Uh, and you thought teams might act differently because of it. Uh, so there's... They, they artificially kept the cap number the same as it was last year so that no players or free agents would be screwed over. Apparently, that didn't matter. Um, <laughs> we saw a spending bonanza in free agency, right? Like Gordon Hayward getting $30 million a year, Bogdan Bogdanovich, 18 mil, Gallinari, 20 mil, et cetera, et cetera. Giannis was a deserving Supermax extension. We thought we were kind of done with the extension news, but he was trumped in terms of you know, magnitude uh, by one Luke Kennard, who today signed a four-year, $64 million deal. And we have several others, uh, you know, right before the extension deadline. What did you make of this? What was your favorite and maybe your least favorite, if it wasn't Luke Kennard, of, of the, the all the money that was handed out? Luke Kennard's funny because uh, he's 
he's a good player. He's a solid player. Didn't get that much shine because, you know, he was in Detroit. But I think a lot of the NBA kind of blog community, everyone is talking about Luke Kennard. But all of a sudden, you see him get moved to the Clippers uh, for Shamit. Was it Shamit? No. Yeah. It was a three-team yeah. trade. Three-team trade. Uh, well, Shamit was one of those outgoing piece. And then I was like, okay. And then they started talking about Luke Kennard being a critical part of that Clippers team, which was already was pretty funny. Then the extension <laughs> kicks in. And I was like, when did this guy all of a sudden become like the third or fourth fiddle to uh, Kawhi and PG? Um, that one there was thing was- pieces being written about how we're going back to a big three in this era. <laughs> you know, it's been a big two around the league. Now it's a big three and Clippers are the first ones to start it. Yeah, so that one that one was weird. I think the other one... Um, the one that stood out to me also was Derek White getting the four-year $73 million. He He had a great bubble performance. Um, he's come along as of late. Classic Spurs kind of uh, development prospect that uh, really came out of nowhere. But him getting that $73 million contract, I thought was uh, – I did not expect that. Um, but they still have a lot of cap space next summer, so and, and a lot of their contracts are coming off the books. So I guess for them, yeah. it's like – why they have not, no one to right? spend it on, right? They have yeah. 50 million in cap space projected if they lose Aldridge, DeRozan, Gay, like they're all expected to. Yep. That one was interesting because he's not a household name by any measure. And also 19 million average annual, or a little bit over 18 million does not mean yep. what it used to mean, right? Like I'm sure the average person doesn't know who Bogdan Bogdanovich is either, uh, who received essentially the same contract. So yeah, that, that, one, that one I felt a little bit more comfortable. Funnily, coming back to Kennard, right? So... He doesn't start, right? He he's not mm-hmm. even a starter on the team that just gave him the sixty-four million. He Nick Batum is starting. <laughs> I can't even. I'm so frustrated. Nick Batum was a freaking corpse for the last four years. He signed maybe if you think about production versus money, he signed maybe the actual worst contract in NBA history. And I'm not using this term lightly. Like we know the Bismack Biombos, we know the Timofey Mozgov, all those guys. I want you to understand, those guys got like four years, 65 to 70 million roughly. Batum got the full five-year, $128 million deal that they just ate to get out of the deal. They just waived him. He's going to get paid $9 million for the next five years to make up for this shit. He comes in just because he plays for the Clippers. How are they going to ignore that he just didn't come off four years of being trash? And now he's a starter for the Clippers and we're supposed to buy into that? Nonetheless... I just wanted to put that out there as as a why is Luke Kennard getting paid, but then also can't beat out fucking Nick Batum for a starting spot. It blows. My yeah, mind. the problem with guys like Batum is when they toil away in like this uh, place like Charlotte, where no one's watching them. Everyone knows he's been bad, but then you're like, oh, he's on the Clippers, and you think of the Batum of old, and that oh, he's magically going <laughs> to regain his form. But I don't think people understood how bad he was in Charlotte and how bad that contract was. So. Yeah, if Luke Kennard's not getting playing time over him, I don't know what they're doing. But Bomber, look, Bomber doesn't care. He's going well into the luxury tax. He can afford it. So for them, it's... He doesn't care, yeah. I mean, Marcus Morris and Luke Kennard for $128 yeah. mil- I've said Luke Marcus Kennard is more Morris times than I ever this thing. is a little bit more egregious to me. I agree. Because at least Kennard is 24, right? He's, yep. like you said, he's shown flashes of being a really good player. He's been hurt a lot in his career. So if he's gotten healthy, then maybe they got something. With Morris, you're in year 10, I think, right? He is who he is by every stretch. He's a good player. Um, but you're telling me he's $64 million while his brother is a minimum player? That, I mean... 
Yeah. That doesn't pass the sniff test. But nonetheless, coming back to these extensions, the other one that I thought was really curious, I'm curious and I'm interested in your perspective is Jonathan Isaac, right? Who if you look at the names of those who got extensions, you could argue he's the best player of the group. So him getting four for 80 for Orlando, another team who has a lot of cap space, um, who isn't really paying anyone top dollar, um, who has tradable contracts, right? Evan Gordon, uh, sorry, Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier. But he's also, he just tore his ACL in the bubble. He's gone for this whole season. Do you really think he was going to get a lot more from teams who hadn't seen him play in a year? I, he's an all-world defender when he's healthy. Um, a lot of teams have cap space next summer. And the ACL is an injury that pretty much is 100% recovery at this point. So maybe that's the case where they they paid him four for 80, but really he could have gotten four for 100 or 120 this summer. Did, where where'd you stand on that? Because, I mean, he's got a ton of talent, but he's had an injured, injury-riddled career. Now he's coming off a pretty major one. I think it's a big risk. I, I I get what you're saying though, right? They had to make they had to kind of pull the trigger now because he'll be up. Uh, he could be up for a bigger contract next year. I still don't think he's shown it. Like he's shown flashes. Isaac, the defense is there on offense. He's shown some flashes as well. So I think a ceiling is high. But for a year, eighty million to a guy who hasn't stayed healthy on the court. Uh, yeah, ACL is, is recoverable these days, but it's still it's still you know a significant injury. Uh, You're telling me. Yeah, of course. Of course, <laughs> someone who's been through it. I don't know, man. I, I wasn't a big fan of this, but I, I get the logic behind it. I get the fact that a lot of the other contracts on that team are going to get moved out anyway. They're kind of starting fresh, and I think he's going to be a core piece of that rotation. But, I mean, I, I don't – I'm not that high on Jonathan Isaac. And speaking of the magic, did you ever foresee a situation – after watching Markel Fultz double clutch free throws that turned into air balls for Philly, that he would be guaranteed fifty million more in his career. Uh, yeah. He signed a three year three year extension as well, and they're really high on him. They let DJ Augustine walk, though they did draft Cole Anthony in the first round, so we'll see how the playing time is split. But Fultz is a guy I think everyone is rooting for just because the story was so weird and. If he turns out to be productive, seventeen million per season is is a bargain. Um, but I think he also has so many warts in his game from that the lack of shooting that it's really hard to build around him in that manner that you would expect. I mean, and the other thing is like he's gotten a lot better. Uh, he's made some strides since the disastrous start to his career. His shot is still wonky, and he still can't shoot from three. So his ceiling is still. Like I, I get that he's gonna be uh, a good player, but you're not getting the faults that we thought we were getting when we, they drafted him number one. Like just no. because he's rebounded doesn't. I, I his shooting is still really bad. His form is still broken. Um, it's gotten to the point where he can at least consistently make jump shots uh, yeah. and have a respectable jumper. But I mean, uh, I don't know, man. Like he can make mid range, but it's like an adventure. Um, it's an adventure, and his three point what he shot. What did he shoot? Twenty something percent from three. Yeah, last no, year? he's not. A, he's Mid-20s? not a threat. He's not a threat from deep. And neither is Aaron Gordon, and really neither is Jonathan Isaac or Mo. So I don't know exactly. You know, there's a broader point around what is Orlando doing from a team yeah. building standpoint. But I also think they're trying to develop as many trade assets as possible, yeah. right? Because some of these guys are going to go at some point, like you would think. And it's similar to like you know the next extension. It's similar to what the Lakers did with Kuzma. I, 
they don't see Kuzma being like this core part of their rotation. No, they just want but, him on a very trade tradable contract, which they achieve. That's a great, great deal for Kuzma. Like, I agree. Three year, yeah. forty million, like that's fantastic because that's that, like you said, it's easily movable. So many other teams will take a chance on Kuzma. Like for all his flaws, he's still a wing, decent wing, can provide some offense. Um, not terrible on defense. Yeah, and thirteen million a year, like that. So that one is a lot more defensible to me. The Fultz one, I don't know what you're getting with Fultz and Isaac. You're 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 kind of committing. I mean, these aren't huge deals, fine, but you're showing somewhat of a commitment to these guys as that future core. Yeah. Um, I, I think I don't what we've it. learned, though, I think one of the things that we've learned is that because of the size of the contracts, like the big, okay. This is going to sound really stupid, but I'm making a point here. Obviously, the lowest you can go for any contract is the veterans minimum, right? Yep. Um, like, let's say that's it used to be one million. Now I think it's almost up to like two and a half million. But what you're seeing is, even though that's up, let's say it's one to two and a half, that's an increase of 150 percent, right? Which is substantial. But because the numbers are so low, the absolute terms is not very important, not very big. Now you take that from the average annual value of max deals, which used to be. 25 million just six seven eight years ago and now we're 50 million right you're suddenly reaching such a disparity in terms of the smallest to biggest contracts that building up a lot of these mid-tier ones are the only way you can make trades uh for distressed assets so like let's say the magic and i'm going to use um john wall's contract right because that's a pretty terrible deal it's a deal that because of the layoff he had and all of that, but also because of how much he made, it was very hard to find trade partners around the league, right? Westbrook was kind of the only guy and like he was the only guy for Westbrook. But if you're the magic and let's say Wall has a resurgent year, it's very easy to package two of those deals. You say Fultz and Gordon, that's already 37 million. It gets you exactly what you need to make that deal. Mm -hmm. It allows you to match salaries in a lot more of an effective way than you could before. Like, Take a team like Boston, right? Boston was very much uh, sort of like around the notion of we need to either have max contract guys or rookie scale guys. And they had Horford, Kyrie, and, and uh, Hayward. And then they had the Tatums, Browns, et cetera, on the rookie scale. But what they lacked was the ability to maneuver if anything went wrong. So they couldn't actually – now they have like the Marcus Smart deal. They have Tristan Thompson. They have a couple of those mid-tier ones that allow them to build up to a guy, even like a James Harden. And when you don't want to trade a max player, but you need someone with enough juice to interest a team, but also match salaries, these are actually effective trade chips as the gap between um, the smallest and the biggest scale salaries increases, which is what we're seeing happening with the expanding cap. So that's a really good point, because usually when you're doing that salary matching exercise, you're including a lot of overpaid kind of vets who they're not even real assets, right? But here you're right. getting a couple of young pieces. You get it like, like you said, Aaron Gordon plus a Fultz all of a sudden could get you John Wall. Yeah. Um, so I, I or, definitely see or, the value in that. Or you have to trade like a seven for one just to make it work. And it's like, dude, I don't want 25 players on my team. We can't accept all this shit from you. We need a couple yeah. guys. Like, you yeah. know, all of our rosters are full or whatever. So. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I will say though, so all these, you know, there's justification behind a lot of these deals. I don't, but you know, it makes me feel better about Buddy Heald last year. You know, Buddy Heald, we got at what is it? We're paying him 17, 18 million for an elite, yeah. you know, 43% like three point yeah. shooter. 
Um, when what Luke, what is Luke Kennard at the end of the day, right? Is he as good as Buddy Heald? No, he's making 16 million. And this yeah. deal was just a deal a year later. So I, I think that's just the market value now for a lot of these guys. Like we, that number is not that high anymore. Like you said, given that the max now is 50, 15 million for a year, a year is, is on the lower end of things. Um, and it exploded so quickly, even though it's been four or five years since that summer of 16, it exploded so quickly from the years and years of like very slow growth that yep. even now it's taken us a long time to adjust to the new norm. Like even now I'm like, like Davis Bertans <laughs> signed a five for 80 deal, which I've now rationalized to be a good contract. <laughs> and he's not even planning to start when it's all, when the team's yeah. fully healthy, right? Like he might start right now. Cause Rui's hurt. Yeah, but, Rui's like, out. but like <laughs> 16 million a year used to be the rookie scale max. Five for 80 is what like, Russell Westbrook signed on his first contract in OKC and he was already like all NBA all-star level and yeah. Berton's not even going to start. So it's a whole different thing um, that I think, you know, 10 years from the down from now, we'll see if like the, the revenue ends up declining. Like you obviously hope that's not the case. You hope the next TV deal is even bigger than this, but eventually because the contracts are shorter, they'll all become whatever the new norm is very quickly. Right, and it's yep. only four to five years to cycle through every deal in the league and have a new one. No, but all right. So let's talk about tonight's game. So we have a full slate tomorrow. Um, tonight, like I mentioned, we had the Warriors and Nets. Let's start there because between the three games, three biggest stars, right? Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Stephen Curry. I think they played a total of twenty-five games last year, including oh. zero from KD. I think five from Steph. So one of the questions that I think you and I have always discussed is how much of the ratings drop and things like that was just driven by the lack of the marquee guys. I mean, it's outside of LeBron, really, none of the other top players in the league are household names that were in the league, in the playoffs at the time, right? The Giannis's, Lucas, et cetera. So now you have these guys back. Um, Durant, of course, coming off the Achilles was the biggest question mark. And we did the freaking Eastern Conference (laughs) over-unders before we saw Durant play. And he, of course, looks the exact fucking same. And we took the under. And now I feel like a moron because him and Kyrie are absolutely unstoppable. And they have – look, I'm the king of overreactions, as you told me earlier. I will say this. Their combination of half-court elite – offensive skill plus their depth such that their second unit can be carried by as good of a guy as Karis LeVert is very, very scary. I know they played a depleted Warriors team, whatever. It's going to be scary every single night if they put any combination of those dudes on the floor. It was fun just to watch those guys fly on offense. I mean, like, so first of all, this is the first game with Kyrie Durant, Oh, that whole cast all playing together. But I was surprised at how kind of fluid and smooth their offense looked um, and just how easy it was for them to get buckets. And, yeah. you know, Kevin Durant looked good, obviously. And he's he he actually – they didn't burn him too much or, uh, in this game. Yeah. But Kyrie, man, like I think – all I could think of as I was watching this game was like this guy on that Boston team with Tatum, with uh, Brown and – Horford, how could they not have been more successful in the East, right? Was it just a him yeah. not being locked in thing? Because I would forgotten just how good he looked. It's been a while since we've seen like Kyrie just yeah. in his element. And today was just 
everything in his bag he was pulling out. Obviously, the Warriors are terribly defensively, but uh, I don't know, man. And, and we talked about it, right? He's like the perfect second fiddle. And as long as KD comes back at 90%, um, there's no reason why this team shouldn't be in the finals. Yeah, you know, I don't need to tell you, I've had a love-hate relationship with Kyrie and that I loved when he sucked and I hated when he did well. Um, no, I, I think I've always been very consistent in this regard about him. He is one of the most gifted players in the history of the NBA. And I mean that sincerely. Just like his, like you said, his bag is as good as anybody from the guard position. Like anyone. His combination of handles, shooting, creativity, just kind of spatial awareness offensively. He can do everything. He can carry you night to night offensively. I think what we learned uh, in Boston as well as last year in Brooklyn is it's just not going to work with him as the lead. And that's okay. Like how many guys can you really say are like the forefront of a championship caliber team? I would say eight, you know, 10 maybe. So if he's not in the top 10, that's still okay. He's still all NBA talent type player. He's still, you know, playing next to someone of the stature of Kevin Durant. He's going to make the game so much easier for KD and vice versa. He it almost felt like he was on a mission, right? Because he's been clowned a lot. He hasn't had a lot of basketball success really since 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of shut up the naysayers, it's all clowning. Um, and it, it sucks because it's taken away from all the shit he's done in the community. He's been like an amazing ambassador in that regard, but he also says some stuff that it's like, dude, that is absolutely off the wall. Like, I don't care how enlightened or sort of like outside the box thinking you want to push and like, okay, there's a level of independent thought. There's also a level of you being just wild right now. And it started veering a little bit too far to that other side. And so I think with Kyrie is probably this whole season is going to be about playing with that chip on his shoulder, right? Just like Durant. And those guys are already a little mercurial, a little sensitive, which is why I think Steve Nash is actually the perfect coach to kind of just rein it all in. (laughs) And you already saw that his offensive system, like you said, the ball was popping. You have two really high usage players who at least for one night were very bought into the idea of Karras gets his touches. Dinwiddie gets his touches. You have Joe Harris spotting up, you know, you have Jared Allen, Deandre Jordan on the rolls. Like, they have it all. Uh, they mm-hmm. really have it all. And I think Jeff even Green when, cutting like, you know, left right, and right. Right. Even when they went to the bench, they were moving the ball. well. And I thought, you know, this is a game that you can't take much from. It was single game blowout. But I think you can you can at least take two things. One is Durant's all the way healthy. And two is the offensive system is going to be designed to keep that ball movement because they're so talented across the board yeah. that it's almost like the Warriors. As soon as you tip over a little bit, you're slightly off balance, you're dead, right? Yep. Steph three, Clay three, KD three, whatever, it's over. They don't have quite that shooting, of course. That's you know one of the greatest teams of all time. But they have a lot of firepower that can hurt you from every different angle. It's going to be tough to defend this team. Yeah, and I mean, Kyrie, last year, opening game of the season, dropped 50 as well. So I think, and, and last year obviously didn't go the way they wanted, but they knew it was a lost season, and Kyrie, you know, ended up kind of punting most of it with yeah. on the bench. Um, but I, this, they're both locked in, right? They both have something to prove, and uh, I think what we know about Kyrie and what we know about Durant is that these guys, the talent is undeniable. Yeah, uh, they look like they have the pieces around them, and but can we talk about the Warriors because? 
<laughs> we yeah, both man. hit the under on the Warriors. And, you know, part of the thing that we called out in our pod last week was the lack of talent. Um, and that, you know, without Draymond, I mean, Draymond didn't play tonight, which is a big piece. But even if Draymond played, the offense. What's he going to do? Where is the offense coming from? Because Wiggins, the fa- he was four for 16 tonight, I believe. And he was horrendous. And he was taking a lot of shots, but there weren't a lot of guys to take those shots. You had Ubre and you had Wiggins. And other than that, who Pascal? Like, why and is Ubre was nice? Ubre was three of fourteen. Ubre was three of fourteen. Like this team is just Steph can't do it all. And it's the same story as last year. Like nothing has really changed with this with this uh roster. I I I they were looked they looked so bad that I started to wonder why they were even being called a championship contender with Clay. As crazy as that sounds. Yeah. Like I'm watching Steph and Steph shot seven of 21, two of 10 from three. So it's not exactly like he was lighting the world on fire. You know, you did have 10 assists, but I'm not blaming him because the whole offensive possession when he was out there would involve him running around in like 50 different directions, trying to get open. Once he got the ball, he would try to shoot. If he was like double teamed, he'd try to look for a pass. Wiggins is looking at the clouds. Ubre is fixing his hair. Like the whole like Wiseman looked good, but he's also a rookie playing in literally his first NBA action. Yeah. Um, and you know he's got some stone hands early that he's got to work on. And I just okay. Draymond comes back. Yes, they fix their leaky defense a little bit, assuming it's Draymond of old, right? They he helps initiate some of the offense, gets guys in the right spots, but you're still passing it to Andrew Wiggins. Um, that doesn't change, right? You're still passing it to Kelly Oubre, who, you know, went 3 of 14, 0 of 6 from 3. I bet you two games from now he'll go 9 of 15 with like four or five threes and have like 29 points. That's just who he is. He's going to be up and down all season. That's the that's the trick-or-treat nature of Kelly Oubre's game. The problem is they have too many trick-or-treat guys or just trick guys. That's (laughs) the issue. Like, Wiggins is another dude who two games from now could look awesome. He could have a 20-10, and play great defense, get in the passing lanes. And I – you know, you you were clowning me. I was like about how many overs I had at the top of the West. And you were like – I was like, somebody's got to fall out. I was like, yeah, I guess (laughs) it just has to be Golden State. I don't know. And like – I don't see how they make the playoffs. Like, unless they get in through the play-in and stuff like that, I don't see no. how they finish in the top here's, eight. Here's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that they bottom out another season, another season where Steph kind of, you know, ends up riding the pine. Um, I don't know what happens with Draymond, and then all of a sudden they're in contention for another top draft pick next season, and then all of a sudden you come back next season with Steph, with Clay, with Wiseman, and with maybe Cade Cunningham. And all of a sudden, the Warriors look like they're in a good position. Yeah. So the question will become like, will they be bad enough unless they actively shut down Steph? And I just don't see Steph. Like, they're not going to pay for. Essentially, at that point, they would have paid for two years of max money on Steph and on Clay to not have either of them play. Yeah. And I guess it doesn't really matter because, from a revenue standpoint, there's no fans. Exactly. It's not like people are at the gate waiting to see Steph. But for him also, he's in year 12. Is he really going to blow another year? I, he won't. I would he be hard-pressed to see if that, they would actively do that. And look, they may be bad enough where they end up with the fifth or sixth pick anyway. I don't think it'll get that bleak. We are overreacting, and they're playing one of the best teams in the league. But at the same time, 
some of what we saw today doesn't seem fixable by Draymond Green returning. So let, let me go with it in a different direction too. Uh, what you said, right, about how good would this team have even been with Clay? You know, like, of course, we don't want to overreact. This has been one game, but I, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, like, would this team, let's say Clay was back, would they have really contended or just been a fringe seventh or eighth seed? So my question for you is, should the Warriors have actually blown this up last year itself? And when I say blown it up is, you know, there were talks at one point, like, should they ship out Draymond, right? Yeah. While his value still um, relatively high, you can get some pieces back from him and kind of retool more than they did, and they didn't. Um, and I'm wondering, maybe should they have? Because I don't know if this team as constructed is still, once they do get fully healthy next year and Clay comes back, if they are going to be that same kind of top four seed kind of a contender. Yeah, well, they got kind of screwed in that the clay injury happened in the finals. Um, so they had to give him that deal, and he was no longer either an asset. They wouldn't ever trade clay, but he was no longer an asset on the floor or even like build, allowed to build around him. I think by the time the 2019 finals concluded with Katie out the door, you know, they salvaged the sign and trade, which was very, very smart, right? They got D'Angelo Russell. By the way, sorry. They don't need to bottom out only. They also have the top three pick protected pick from Minnesota. So they could get the no. fourth pick in next year's draft, even by playing normally. Oh, um, that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. And, and um, you know, then there's the question of like, what would Draymond have fetched, right? Is he really going to like think around the league? Like would Miami have traded for him? Maybe I could see that potentially, but they also have Bam and they have Jimmy who kind of yeah. do what Draymond does. Like, would Boston have traded for him? Okay, maybe. That that would have been a good fit, actually. But yeah, Boston would be perfect. I, yeah, but I just wonder, like, is he not Marcus Smart, but a big man? I mean, he's more probably more skilled offensively in the sense of, like, running the break and as a passer. But Smart started playing a bigger offensive role for Boston than Draymond ever really did in, in Golden State. So I don't know. So I just don't think he has a lot of value out of that system. And like when you talk about him as a Hall of Famer and you talk about all the accolades, you have to say that that came. I mean, look, he played a pivotal role in all of it, but it also was as much the ecosystem that made him as vice versa. Absolutely. And I think if you traded him anywhere in the league, he's going to look like a role player or just a replacement level player. And you saw that last year because he played on what essentially was a replacement level team and put up terrible stats and looked disinterested. Um, so, but, that, but that's my point. My point is, at that point, his value is already eroded even further. Like, should it, look, I'm not sure his value is ever going to get much more because I think teams saw that. Yeah, but they saw it especially last year when he was actually. Now it's over. Now he has no yeah. value. But yeah, maybe if they traded him. I mean, I'm not saying they should have it. Hindsight's 2020, but I think part of the pressure for the Warriors too is that look, um, you want to sell tickets. They would just move to Chase Center last season, right? Yeah, they moved to San Francisco, and so part of it was still selling everyone on the current team but i'm just wondering if they're kind of stuck on this roster now no, they're, all totally the stuck. Getting better. they're totally stuck and like the number one rule of of investing of team building whatever is like you don't pay for past performance right you pay yep. for future and they paid for past performance for their two for their three biggest stars yeah i mean they had they gave, to <laughs> they had to they gave steph a five yeah. for 205 million super max they gave Clay a four five for one ninety max coming off a torn ACL, and they gave Draymond a four for a hundred extension. That by all accounts, he's a guy that feeds off energy, feeds off sort of like intensity, is going to wear down later in his career because yep. he's not that physically talented the way like 
someone of equal intensity. Let's take a Kevin Garnett, who's so much more skilled, taller, whatever. Draymond's yep. not that. So they did it to themselves, but they basically had to by virtue of this amazing five-year journey they were on. Mm-hmm. So do you give those contracts out? You know, if if you didn't give those contracts out, do you give up the five years? No, you'd never do that. I know no. the timing of it, all of it just is really shitty because they have this new stadium and all their <laughs> guys are old or injured now. And it's a very weird place to be. It's almost yeah. like they built this place too late. They should have just stayed in Oracle now that it's all over. Because the chances of getting back to this to the pinnacle that they've seen, you know, that they were able to get to in the mid 2010s is almost impossible. Like yeah. generational players getting coming to you in the draft that late is very, very unlikely. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens because Steph still has a lot in the tank, but they have very limited ways to build around him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, just watching Wiggins today was like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you hope you, you pick up Wiggins, hope you can kind of rehabilitate his image or kind of, you know, warrior system with Steph, a little bit more spacing and he gets, becomes a better player. But uh, <laughs> this is what I was telling you last again, week, right? Where there's movement. so much trust on the organization's intelligence, the organization's history. Yeah. It's, it's almost like after two games. Yeah, after two games, everyone was writing their like think pieces about how 31 teams passed on Cam Newton, and that's so dumb, and he's going to prove everyone wrong. And then, you know, by week 10, he's literally throwing ducks and throwing balls into the ground, and he's unplayable. Yep. But because it was the Patriots, because it was Belichick, we're like, oh, they're going to make it happen. And the same thing with Wiggins. Sometimes a guy is who he is. Yep. All right, so let's switch over to the Clippers and Lakers. The Battle of L.A., um, the Lakers really punked the Clippers last season. Um, you know, the Clippers had signed Kawhi, traded for Paul George. There was this whole, like, hey, this is going to become our city. Anybody who's from L.A. or is aware of anything was very, uh, you know, it's very clear to anybody that follows the league that that was never going to happen, right? One nice offseason wasn't going to trump 60 years of history. It got worse because then the Clippers floundered the way they did, and the Lakers, of course, won the title. So now it seems totally irreversible. That being said, it does look like the Clippers are going to win tonight. They're up 15 with five minutes to go. Um, Not to make too much of tonight's game as well, but we talked about this last week. I think people were riding the Clippers a little too hard um, for a roster that's – for a team that was still very, very good in the regular season. And really – you know, they had their ups and downs, but they were still up 3-1 on their way to being in the conference final, I think, even early, sooner than the Lakers got there. And so tonight is meaningless in the grand scheme of things, right? That doesn't affirm yeah. anything. But I think it's important to the Clippers' psyche to come in here and actually win, especially on ring night, for whatever that's worth. Because <laughs> last year they went 2-1 and one versus, the, for, versus the Lakers, right? They Pretty won an opening night last year as well. Exactly. And they won, I think, again on Christmas. And so they went two and one. And I think that was a big kind of feather in the cap if they were to meet in the playoffs. Like, hey, we do match up well. And I think this is going to help with that too. It doesn't mean anything come April, May, but I think it it starts peeling back. Okay, how are we going to beat this team? Well, we've done it already versus a team like Denver or Houston who had no shot from the beginning versus the Lakers. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Clippers at all. Like, I to me, I actually look at them a lot like Miami versus Dallas that first year. Um, where because Miami ended up losing to Dallas, uh, you look back on that season as 
what happened and how were they able to do that? You forget how dominant Miami was in the regular season. The first year LeBron, Wade, Bosch played together. They won 21 of 22 games at one point, breezed through the playoffs. And yep. then they got into that situation similar to the Clippers where they were up in that Miami series. Um, or, they're, yeah, they were up. They were almost – they could have put it away. I think they were up in game. I think they are up 3-2. Yeah. 2-1. Um, or 2-1, yeah. Right then they drop they drop that game four and then they drop five and six, um, and and it was hard to explain right it was like what happened they just kind of were LeBron looked lost he couldn't you know JJ Barea was guarding him all the memes oh, yeah, yeah. So, very two, similar one, yeah. it's very similar to what happened with the Clippers where all of a sudden people are over indexing the other way saying this team is trash you know Paul George sucks and I think that people forget how good they really were in the regular season, given like all their lineups when they had um, their whole starting five healthy, uh, when they had like also Harold, Lou Will, all those guys, like the core rotation playing, they were a dominant, like dominant, dominant team. And I, I think you're right. A lot of it's just the psyche. And so like wins like tonight, it doesn't mean anything for the Lakers. It means more for the Clippers. And I actually, I'm picking them to win the finals this year. I do think that, Kawhi, Paul George are good enough. I think they're gonna get find a way to get past the Lakers and then win it. So I'm not too worried. I'm not gonna read into this game as a as anything else. But I do agree in the terms that they need to get over that mental hurdle. Um, yeah, I mean Nick Batum aside, uh, you know Paul George, for example, tonight 13 of 18, 33 points, right, five threes, and he yep. exploded in this third quarter and sort of into the fourth and put him away. And it's like. This guy is insanely good. Yeah. Like the season before he was in LA, he finished third in MVP. Every, like, yeah. yeah. Let's not let's not get it twisted. Like the number of players in the league that have a top three MVP finish on their resume is not long. You know, he's a five-time all-NBA player. This is a I think it's the combination of just the Twitter groupthink meme culture of like, let's not do anything let's just watch the gif of him hitting the backboard uh, yeah. side of the backboard like 50 times over and that's our analysis he flamed out there's no two ways about it he did it the previous year with the whole playoff pete thing where he got shut down by joe ingles again you cannot discredit the the criticism but you can provide more context to it and this is a really fucking good player and i expect him to have a huge season like i would put him as an all-star lock this year uh, mm-hmm. Him and Kawhi will both make it, right? And, you know, when it comes to the Lakers, this team is on full cruise. They know exactly who they are. They're integrating some new pieces. So they're, I think their season is going to be spent figuring out how to get Schroeder and uh, Montrez Harrell involved, how to get Marcus Gasol involved. Um, you know, I think the Gasol signing is a little overrated. I think Gasol is washed. Yeah. Uh, he's, personally. he's washed. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of to the, the our, uh, conversation we were just having about uh, when we see the name and we're like, oh, this guy, it's like he's going to make a world difference, but sometimes yeah. he is who he is. Um, and, you know, will they get the same kind of seasons from KCP and Markeith Morris and all that? We'll see. But I think when you have LeBron and AD, you're set. You're going to be whatever you want to be. Like LeBron could honestly pick a seed that he'd like to be and figure <laughs> out how to get exactly that. Um so I'm not sure what they're playing for this year uh, in terms of regular season. If they're just playing purely for building continuity, if they're playing purely for just like, 
you know, being rested and healthy if they're playing for going to get the one seed because they want to get AD MVP. I'm not sure. So we took the Lakers. I think you and I both were on the Lakers under more of a result of like they don't need it versus they can't get to it. So we'll see what kind of season they want to have. But I think the Clippers, there's, there's a lot of talk about whether they're still in that upper echelon. Like I know... Denver started entering the conversation in some places. Even people think Portland's up there. I still find those teams to be a cut below um, for a very specific reason that they don't have a Kawhi Leonard and nobody has a player of that stature other than the Lakers. Mm -hmm. Um, You could say the Warriors maybe, but I just don't think that this version of Steph and this version of the Warriors are in that conversation. So are these going to be the two last teams left? Likely. And I think I think that's still the case. Now, who's going to win between the two? That's going to be a toss-up. Like this is going to be a long, hard series, and I think I expect everyone to play well. I don't think that they're going to have some of the some of the letdowns they experienced last season. You know, the one thing I would say is I still worry because as I was watching tonight, you know, in the second quarter, the Lakers outscored the Clippers by 18, and that's mm-hmm. typical, right? You see runs all the time. They couldn't get easy offense because they don't have a point guard still yeah i mentioned this last week Kawhi is trying to do too much iso stuff it's not his fault there that's the way the system is designed and maybe tyloo has no choice because beverly and lou williams are not offense creators for others they can you know bet lou will can get his own shot or he can work the pick and roll but he's not going to be able to facilitate the way a traditional point guard is and obviously reggie jackson can't either so that's my concern. It still is my concern. I saw it tonight. You know, they're going to be okay and win out. But that's, you know, how do yeah. you get late game offense when they're starting to put the clamps? It's a legitimate concern. It's the exact same. Literally, that, that stretch in the second quarter is the exact same thing we've seen in the playoffs where they get tight. And then that's why another team can go on these runs is because they just all of a sudden the offense slows down to a crawl. Um, they might make another move. I still think that they yeah. can tinker a little bit with this roster. Reggie Jackson also is not, it was brought in late, but he's not a playmaker by any means. He can, you know, he's not the same sh- even shock leader he used to be. Yeah. Um, and so they have tradable contracts. They have Beverly at 14, and I think Lou Williams is 10 or something to that effect. So that gets yeah. you up there pretty, pretty high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's still another piece away, but I, I really do think they're, they're going to contend. I think they're going to be in the finals is my pick, but. Um, we'll see. And then, you know what the Lakers in terms of the regular season, Frank Vogel did come out and say that in the early in the season, that he's going to kind of play LeBron in more in shorter bursts. Uh, and you know, I think they're going to manage his minutes at least early on a little bit more. So that kind of paves the way for the Clippers to get, um, get a higher seed. Not, not that it necessarily may matter given that there's no fans, but, um, kind of be that regular season juggernaut, uh, and be a one or two seed in the West. We've been talking a lot in context of this in terms of our over-unders now that we've watched all the preseason, had our overreaction. So what's your biggest regret and what's your biggest, uh, like, what do you, which pick are you like most proud of that you're like, okay, this is trending right? I don't want to overreact to preseason. I think the biggest regret is Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn, and not, Brooklyn could still hit under, right? Injury, you know, there's still injury concerns with this team and they're still... Like we said, a, a team built for the playoffs. The regular season doesn't matter. Um, but man, I did not expect Durant to be this good right away. Like literally in the preseason, lighting it up in his first game, lighting it up. Kyrie looking <laughs> locked in, uh, and just has 
that offense looked really fun. Um, that was my biggest one. And then oh, there's another one we talked about, I think, that we both messed up on. We took um... – let me look at it. I have it up right now. So we took the Lakers. We both took the Lakers under, but I think you feel okay about that. That I mean, one is, is a little iffy, but I, I could see it still happening. Um, we both took the Rockets over, which... Oh, that. Oh, sorry. The Rockets over, I feel terrible about. <laughs> yeah, I still feel great about that one. I Dude, Harden, have you seen these press conferences with Harden? This guy does not want to be there. He's trying to get out. He's like openly revolting Jimmy Butler yeah. style right now. Yeah, so I, I don't see... And so what? It's Wall and Cousins and, and Christian Wood are going to take you to 40, 45 wins? The uh, the rumor that came out today is that they were trying to link up a Michael Porter Jr. trade, which is a name that's been yeah. thrown around, right? Because he's one of the young premier stars. I don't love Denver. Uh, sorry, I don't love Harden on that Denver team. But if you have a chance to add a James Harden and you I don't guess, touch yeah. Jokic or Murray, you kind of have to do it. Yeah, you'd have to do it at that point. But it's such a weird kind of bizarre fit. Like the beauty of that pick and roll game and the way Murray and Jokic coexist gets thrown out the window and now you just have hard in there, you know, isolating. But but, but you know, is, I agree, this, you have to do it. You have to if you're if you gotta keep your two best stars and it's yeah. a matter of giving up MPJ. Look, MPJ is gonna be is a good player, but he's you still know no certainty he's gonna be a all star even. And, right. Well, think about what we watched tonight, right? Like you talk about Harden on any other team but his own. It's a total shift, fundamental shift in everything that you do. Like the first thing we both noticed was how much the ball was moving and how yep. like how many easy shots everyone was getting. That is the antithesis of James Harden basketball. So what would he have looked like tonight on that Brooklyn team? I can't even envision it. It literally would have been like my turn, your turn basketball all night. And it probably would have worked, right? Like they're three of the... 10 best scorers, but I don't know. Yeah, it's different, feel- right? Because Kate, Katie has bought into that role already with the Warriors. Kyrie has played the second fiddle role where he, you know, he has to kind of play off of LeBron. So they can kind of make it work. The Harden fits a little more clunky, but all these teams, man, at the end of the day, it's like, you got to pull the trigger. If, if it's not costing you that much, like he's not going to, I think the thing people forget about Harden is, yeah, he's been playing in this heavy ISO Houston system. But four years ago, that's not how they played. Like, that's not even that long ago. Four, maybe five years ago. Um, yeah. Yes, he did high usage, high ISO. But at one point in his career, Harden used to play a little bit more like Ginobili. Um, you know, right. and he would lead the league every year in like pick and rolls and picking, like, you know, yeah. stretch pick and roll, find fine shooters, like whatever. Lobs, pick and so roll was a bigger part of his game until they over indexed on, the, you know, that one style of play. So I think he Has it been work. reported why that happened. Why, what happened? Like, what made this shift? Was it just the hiring of D'Antoni? And then they were like, look, you're really good at the step back and it creates really high efficiency offense for us. So why don't we just, you do step backs every single possession? Like, well, I mean, why did they move away from the pick and roll? Well, but, well, first of all, I think the, the philosophy was not the step back. The philosophy originated out of all threes and kind of paint shots, right? Those are the most efficient buckets. Yeah. And with Harden, the way you optimize for that is you you take a lot more step backs, right? Or you drive and kick. Um, and the pick and roll, like part of the pick and roll game is like the pick and pop and shooting more mid-range. Mid-range is a part of that. And that's not a very efficient part of the game. So I think they just cut it out altogether. 
they don't even drive anymore though it's so odd it's like they it's like um you know in 2k when like you can't get any fucking open threes against the computer because they're stuck to all your guys like glue and you have no choice but to just pass it around the perimeter yeah. and just hoist eventually because you're your smothered defense that's how houston shoots threes they just pass it around the perimeter until one guy's like all right I'm going to shoot or Harden dribbles 50 times and then shoots. That's the offense. I just, I don't get it. Cause they were really, really good with Capella, Chris Paul and Harden. And then I think maybe what happened was they traded Paul for Westbrook, which became even one fewer shooter. And then they doubled down even further and they're like, all right, we're going to get rid of Capella. We can only have well, one yeah. Gun shooter. Yeah. I mean the, the Capella Paul Harden lineups, I, they were like insanely good. Like, when they, I remember that one season. I don't think they got yeah. logged that too many minutes together. But when they did, um, or not, they did log a lot of games together. But they weren't like, um, dude, no, no, no. When all three of them played, they were like twenty-seven and one or something like that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like the for the crazy. number of games when they did play together, they were unstoppable. But then Capella got. See, this other thing is when when a guy kind of gets exposed in the playoffs, and then all of a sudden they soured on Capella. They moved him, and then they were like, now we might as well go all in on the small ball with Westbrook and just no bigs, and I don't know, man. Somehow the other way. And then the problem is once you play in that system for a few years, it becomes muscle memory. It becomes muscle memory to just jack up threes, and then you forget to kind of the nuanced game. Like, it's kind of that thing like you when you see guys today drive, and then they're wide open, but they immediately kick it out. Like, there are a couple clips where it's like, that was actually not the most optimal choice, but it's just ingrained in their brain that drive, kick, drive, kick. And so they're not even able to process that they could have an open layup. Well, that's why I wonder if, you know, we're just like, oh, he can snap into whatever system. I don't know that that's always the case because I think that there are some things, that, especially for him, given the thousands upon thousands of shots he's taken. And yeah, but it's, it's James Harden, right? Like Kevin Durant made it happen. Like Kevin Durant, look at his usage rates from – 2016 OKC, like obviously it's not like Harden, but he was playing a very ISO heavy, um, you know, individual style. Different breed, though. I, but how Harden's yeah. so talented, he can make it work, right? Yeah, I don't know. He's not as pure of a shooter as as Durant is, and he doesn't like Harden creates his looks. Durant walks into his looks almost because of his height and his elevation and like where he releases the ball and. You know, it's a little bit different, but I hear you. I mean, Harden is one of the five to ten best scorers in NBA history, so he could figure it out. The question is whether or not he a wants to, and b that's, if a coach can get him to. That's the question, right? I don't think it's which an is ability. why I wanted. It's, I wanted it's, Miami. That's why I want Miami because that system can get him to do whatever they want. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. We'll we'll see how what happens with that but where do, how do we get on this oh yeah because uh, the over for Houston is yeah. the one that i think um i'm not feeling good about uh how about you what are the the over unders that so my under on Toronto um they've been over 9 straight years um even when they're not supposed to be good they win like mid to high 50s so the fact that they only have to win 47 uh by you know, out of the 82 game seems likely wasn't that the narrative uh, I, I, was, I was giving you last week? Yeah, I went all emotion. <laughs> um, I should have listened to my boy Nick Nurse a little bit better. So that one was the under, and I'll give you an over that I really regret. Okay. I regret – I'm debating between 
Okay, I'm going to give you two because I think they're equally bad. The Bulls over. <laughs> and the Cavs over. <laughs> I, I don't know which one I actually hate more, um, but I'm going to go with the Cavs over because the likelihood of them being really, really bad is higher than the Bulls being pretty bad because I think there's a version of the Bulls that they can coax. You know, they have to win 35 pro-rated games. Cleveland would have to go 26 and 56 out of 82. And there's really no telling if that, if or why that would happen. I mean, they're just a bad team. So that one I think is worse. Well, I'm on, I'm on board with you and the Bulls over. I think we, we both picked that one. Both, yeah, all three of us did. Stupidly. I don't know if it's our love for Chicago or, or what. That's That was Christian's rationale for most of them. So. <laughs> yes. um, all right. Before we conclude, let's get to um, – Let's get to award predictions. We'll try to go through this quickly. So the first thing I wanted to – let's start with MVP. So who did you have for uh, MVP uh, this season? And while you do that, I'm going to pull up what the odds are so I can just read – oh, here we yeah. go. So let me just read them out first. Okay. So Luca is plus 400. Uh, Giannis is plus 425. Steph Curry plus 500. LeBron seven, plus 700. Anthony Davis plus 700. James Harden eight to one, Kawhi nine to one, Kevin Durant ten to one. That's the top ten. It looks like eight, something like that. All right. So MVP. I went through a process of elimination exercise here, and so I'm going to get to a really wacky answer. But you have to understand the logic that went into this, okay? Yeah. So I I really wanted to go Anthony Davis um, because the Lakers will be good enough, and I think you know LeBron is kind of ushering him in, him in now as like that lead guy. But at the same time, I don't know if LeBron, LeBron's still too good for it to be for Anthony Davis to clearly win it. So I took him out. LeBron. I also took out cause I think he's going to manage his, his minutes a little bit more. Um, Giannis. I think there's going to be voter fatigue. I don't think he's going to get Giannis it. Has no chance. Yeah. Even though a lot, a lot of people think he will win a third, but like to win three MVPs in a row. And I, it's just, a, I think only Larry Bird has done that in modern times. Yeah. It's, it's not happening. And, uh, Curry, no way. The team's not good enough. Harden, who knows where he's going to be. So those guys that cross off Luca, we talk about this. Luca's already was like a triple double guy last year. That team, I don't think Dallas is going to be substantially better to where he gets noticed for an MVP candidacy. Also, don't buy Dame Lillard. So, here is my MVP pick. I'm going with Nikola Jokic on the Denver Nuggets. Your boy. 20, 25 to 1 right now. I was picking him versus Kevin Durant. Now, my logic behind not picking Kevin Durant was, you know, his his numbers will be great, but maybe slightly subdued because of, of Kyrie. Jokic, why I like him is because I think a lot of the value in Jokic's game is underappreciated among the broader kind of like not the blog boys or the the NBA, you know, the hardcore NBA fans. But I think last postseason, um, what he was able to do, the way he was able to really control the flow of a lot of those games. And and yeah, Murray was the kind of scorching scorer. Uh, we're dropping 50 here and there, but Jokic was the engine that kept them going. So I think he got some of that recognition. I think he'll have a good season statistically this year. And I think the Nuggets will be the number one seed or the number two seed in the West. And so by virtue of that, I think he's got a shot, and I'm going with Jokic as my MVP pick. Jokic is a great pick. Um, we were both high on Denver and the need 
not just their ability, their need to get the top seed or one of the top two seeds to try to get home court later in the playoffs. He has been their only all-star as well, which is why I think he should always be getting a little bit more MVP love than he has been. Like Murray hasn't actually made an all-star team as great as he's been in the last couple of playoffs. And that seems to be ignored. I like Jokic. The problem with I have with Jokic is you were actually on this. The last two seasons, his stats are virtually identical, right? And he hasn't been in the conversation. So if he puts up something similar, which is 20 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, is that going to be enough? Or is it going to be ho-hum, this is just Nikola Jokic? Is he going to generate the narrative that you always talk about? Is that actually going to be enough? And especially given that he is not a popular guy. Not only is he a Euro, he's quiet. He doesn't play guard like Luca or Giannis, who's going to get a lot more, or you know, handle the ball, who's going to get a lot more notoriety. He plays in a small market. I think Jokic may be a deserving pick. I don't know if the narrative is going to support it. So I was thinking about it as well. And for all the reasons you mentioned, I crossed off a lot of guys on this list. And I was debating between three players. Two that you already mentioned, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant. And the third was Joel Embiid. Yep. Now, the case for Embiid is that he is unlocked by Doc Rivers, not just in terms of offensively and like the sets and where he's on the court and his touches and all that, but just mentally being able to commit. And Doc has, you know, especially in those early years, does a great job with his teams. He connects with them, whatever you want to call him in the playoffs, et cetera. So I'm going to just go on a limb. I love Philly this year already. You love Philly. I'm going to say Joel Embiid is going to win his first MVP. Now, two years ago, he averaged 27 and 13, and he was first-team all-defense or second-team all-defense level play. If he puts up another season like that and Philly is in that low to mid, you know, mid to high 50s, let's say, prorated wins, then you're going to start seeing the case being made. Um that's my long shot. So similar to Jokic, he's 25 to 1. If I had to take a sure thing, I was going to go Davis over KD just because I think that LeBron will work, use this year to kind of build him up a little bit. Look, I like the Embiid pick. I actually was considering him as well because I think Philly's going to be really good this year. They're also, yep. I think, once again, I'm picking a Clippers-Sixers finals like I did last season to not work out. I'm going with the same one this year. Okay. Um. So uh, your your point about the stats is a good one. That's I think his the biggest thing holding him back. I think he can get the narrative. I think there can be a situation where there just has to play a narrative. I, I just don't think, like you said, the the flash and the stats which matter in MVP races, uh, he doesn't have. But I worry that he won't play enough. Like if he plays yeah. fifty out of seventy two games, then that's not gonna. I mean, he's not gonna get any votes. But if he can get up to like high 50s, low 60s, then it's enough to qualify. Because I think a lot of guys are going to miss 10 to 15 games this season. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about Embiid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. If Embiid plays and they're a top two seed, like he, he'll have he'll be up there in that race for yeah. sure. All right. Let's go defensive player of the year. So I'm going to start here. I'll go. My pick was Anthony Davis. I think yeah. he... You know, Lakers fans were furious. This didn't happen last year. I think statistically Giannis deserved it. Uh, everyone forgets that the bubble and the playoffs didn't count as part of the award voting. So you can't like use the Miami series against Giannis or anything like that. Davis um, did show in the playoffs, though. That being said, just what a complete all around destructive force he is on the on, on the defensive end. Just, you know, from it's almost like from inception to end of a possession 
he can dominate every level of it. He can dominate the pick and roll. He can switch on to guards. He can come back and protect the paint. And then he's an excellent elite rebounder as well. So he kind of does it all um, on a single possession, gets his hands in passing lanes. He blocks shots. I mean, he's, he's the complete package, you know, if the Lakers choose a, a more aggressive resting plan with LeBron, it's because he's in year 18 and he's 36 years old. I think with Davis, although he does have a lot of like ticky-tack injuries, so maybe they will be cautious with him, I think he plays more than LeBron. And so you see a lot of those nights like you did in NOLA where it's him as the main guy accruing like the 36 and 17 type nights. And defensively, you know, from the MVP, that could factor in. And I think also defensively, he's just going to be – um, kind of like the stabilizing force, especially with Gasol playing fewer minutes and Harold not really projecting as like a great rim protector. It's going to fall on Davis to do so. I think this is a lock. I think Anthony Davis is a lock for defensive player of the year. If there is a bet I would make out of all these awards, I'd pick him. Now here's here's the all the points you brought up. Great. Giannis, uh, who won it last year. Um, first of all, it's once again, I think there's some Giannis fatigue and it shouldn't matter, but I think it sticks in people's minds when they saw what happened in the playoffs. And uh, look, I mean, they they struggled a bit defensively against Miami. Um, and a, a lot of that defensive kind of versatility you showed and those eye-popping advanced stats, it was all in a system that I think might get tweaked this year as well. Um, that pure dedication to the rim protection and kind of letting the three-pointers fall didn't work that well in the playoffs. I have a feeling they're going to tweak it a little bit. So I don't think he's going to have the off the charts, eye popping numbers he did before. And people are kind of the, they saw what Anthony Davis did in the playoffs. They saw what Giannis did. And I think that that's going to help give Anthony Davis a little bit of a bump. People kind of respect it a lot more now. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if there's any other good candidate like Rudy Gobert. I think it's another example of, a guy people are tired of voting for. Um, I don't think ben he's going to do anything substantially different, right? Um, yeah. Ben Simmons would be the guy, I think. That's Sim- also Simmons could be the guy. Uh, but th- this is just, especially if I feel like he does not going to get MVP credit, Anthony Davis is going to be such a yeah. integral part of that Lakers team. He's going to get recognized through something, and I think it'll be this award. It's hard for a perimeter-oriented defender to get it also. Even Giannis's like, biggest strength was his rim protection. Yeah, except when um, they wanted to hand it out like candy to Jordan because, you know, everything Jordan did was well, amazing and so great. He is the king, the goat, and all. He's all, he's all of it. But no, but I think, like, if you think about the last primarily perimeter-oriented player to win, I think you would probably say it's Kawhi, right? Yeah. So it would be tough for Simmons. I think Gobert... The other guy that you could maybe argue is like a Brooke Lopez, but he's just not, I mean. He's not impactful enough. No, I don't see that one being that one. Oh, Bam. Bam could be another candidate. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. All right. Let's zip through these last few. Okay. Sixth man of the year. Who do you got? This Karis Levert. And I think this one, and it it's just too obvious of a pick. He's too good of a player. Would start on a lot of teams. You're bringing him off the bench. Even he showed it tonight, just he can also play with – he's one of those guys who will be playing crunch time in some of the smaller lineups, and um, he's going to put up big numbers coming off the bench. So Karis LeVert's a great one. I actually didn't even think about him because I was kind of thinking he would settle in as a starter. I was surprised mm-hmm. to see Dinwiddie out there with Kyrie. And it does make sense because LeVert can initiate the second-team offense, yep. but I think he ends in that starting role uh, next to Kyrie and Durant. We'll see. I went Eric Gordon. I think Gordon really struggled. 
Interesting. He really struggled the last couple of years, especially last year, shooting the ball. And I think he struggled to find his space next to two incredibly high mm-hmm. usage guards. All accounts, and like I said, I've been really plugged into the Houston beat beat writer scene, <laughs> but by all accounts, he's way happier with uh, Steven Silas's offense uh, compared to Mike D'Antoni. I think the ball moves a little bit more freely, and I think he gets more open looks rather than the 2K-style looks where someone's just passing it to him, expecting him to shoot with a hand in his face. So he's going to benefit from playing with Wall, playing with Harden. Those are two of the five best players in the league's, league at creating threes. And then I think also the spread pick and roll kickouts, you know, with Christian Wood and Cousins are also going to create a lot of looks for him. I think he's going to have a big year. Um, he's one of the only holdovers in Houston that's not unhappy. So that also bodes well for him. He's going to end up starting because Harden's going to get shipped. And then what do you so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that, but I was like, okay, who are they going to get back? Because depending on the trade package, let's say it's Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Michael Porter Jr., then maybe he doesn't. Then, yeah, so. he can still come off the bench. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, all right. So the next one, Rookie of the Year. Um, I, I'm i going to go – this is a this is a crapshoot, given that there isn't like a Zion at the top of this class or you know, those yeah. Zion didn't even win. But I'm going to go James Wiseman. Um, yep. I think he's going to have a ton of opportunities. He – looks the part physically already. He looked really good out there just from a physical standpoint. I think, you know, he played three college games and he missed all of training camp because of coronavirus and all of preseason. So this was his first real action in, I think, over a year since he got disqualified from Memphis. And I liked what I saw, you know, he held his own out there. You know, he was actually one of the few players other than Steph that looked like he was belonged on the court. I think he's going to put up big numbers playing when it comes down to it close to 30 minutes a night. And I just think production plus the Warriors aren't going to suck, right? They're going to be somewhat competitive. So he's going to play more meaningful minutes, I think, than a LaMelo ball or some of these other guys at the top of the draft. I went with Wiseman too. um, And we both made this pick before we saw the game tonight, but tonight's game just kind of reiterated everything I thought would happen, which was look, the spacing of the Warriors offense, they're not the same Warriors, but um, you know, he's going to get those, those minutes at center. He's going to have that spacing to kind of operate, get some easy entry passes from, from Curry and lobs and things like that. Um, and with Draymond too, like he, he'll benefit from that. And they're also still somewhat of a high profile team. Like they've got a lot of nationally televised games this year and that, that kind of stuff helps, right? He's going to be putting up stats. He's on a team with Curry. Um, the visibility is there and there's just no other good candidate. I, I really wanted to go with Tyrese Halliburton, like as a homer pick. But it's possible. I mean, it's possible, but but Halliburton's going to be more putting up like a Malcolm Brogdon type stat line. You know, the year Brogdon won it, but Brogdon won it in a year where no one else stood out. And I, I just think Wiseman will put enough uh, stats together to kind of uh, stand out and, and be the winner. Uh, yeah, I was going to go Denny, but I think between Russ and Beal, <laughs> like he won't be allowed to touch the ball too much. So I don't think he's going to accumulate enough stats. The thing with LaMelo is like, yeah, he's already had like three or four jaw dropping passes, yeah. but he sucks at shooting. Yeah. That's... And it can't be ignored. No. Yeah. If you don't score somewhat consistently, you're not winning rookie of the year. Um, even though his passing has been. Anthony Edwards looks good. Edwards look good. He's, he's also, he's probably the least talked about number one pick I've ever seen like ever. 
Yeah. For good um, or better. No or one cares. Like, yeah. I remember when we talked about a lot of like, how the fuck was this guy picked number one? But nobody yeah. even talks about it. <laughs> no one ever talks about him. Um, All right. What else we got? So, most improved. I I hate this award. <laughs> I know you hate this I don't understand what it's asking me, but I'll I'll seed the floor. I, I mean, you could go any number of archetypes for this. So who do you have? I'll go Derek White after I trashed him for the contract. <laughs> um, uh, look, he played well in the bubble. He was 17 and five. Uh, they're clearly committed to him. He's a future of this team. I think he's going to have a really strong regular season. And this is, like you said, it's a weird award. I, I, there's no rhyme and reason to it, but um, the Spurs it's will like, suck. So I don't know if you'll get yeah. recognized, but. I'm going with Derek White. Yeah, like John Morant to me doesn't fit the mold. No, because no. he's a number two overall pick who got better his second year. That's it's a, it's kind of exactly it's like same thing with De'Aaron Fox, who like his second to third year jump or his first to second year jump was huge, but that shouldn't count. Yeah. So I'm going with another extension guy, one of the ones we actually didn't talk about, but I'm going OG on an OB. Yeah, um, I liked he, his extension. Four for he's a good extension. He, you know, he averaged 11 a game last year, uh, five rebounds. He did play 30 minutes. So the question is how many more, how much more playing time is he going to really get? But I think his usage is just going to go way up, right? Like I think he was actually the, the more, um, the higher rated prospect coming into the NBA than Siakam. Yep. So he's got skills. He came off a couple of pretty bad injuries. If you look at his uses last year, it was 14%. You could see that upwards of 20%, and suddenly he's averaging 17, 18 a night. Yeah. I know they still have Lowry, they still have Van Bleet, but I think Lowry's a year older, and who knows if he's going to end up on that team at the end of the season. I think Ananobi's going to play a much bigger role in offense. And defensively, he's he's already really, really good. So if he can get to that next notch there, I think there's a possibility for him. But you know, yeah. it could be anybody. Like last year, Luca was a candidate for this award. Yeah, no, I like that one. I, I think even with Ibaka moving out, you know, he'll get some minutes at the four, more minutes at the four. Just you'll see higher usage as well. Can we talk about coach of the year? Yeah, I you got Nick Nurse again. I got Nate Bjorkin. Really? <laughs> that's my that's my coach of the year. Uh, look, wait, which team is he? Is he Indiana? He's Indiana. Oh my god! I think right, I think it's. Indiana might be a three or four seed. Um, they're going to make a little what? bit of a mini jump. And uh, look, coach of the year, I like giving it. To, it, it never goes to the the Brad Stevens, Pops, uh, Rick Carlisle's, right? It's not going to go to one sure. of those guys. It's going to go to the the sexy name who whose team kind of came out of nowhere and, and jumped up and wins. So I don't think there's any team this year that's going to make a huge leap. So I'm going to go with a team instead that no one really thinks about, but all of a sudden is going to be playing much better, much more efficiently, and kind of contending near the top of the conference. That's my pick. I'm actually glad I didn't say this ahead of time because I thought we were going to agree here uh, based on our outlook for the Western Conference. I went Mike Malone. Um, he was my second pick. Mike Malone Denver. And that's purely based on the fact that I think they're going to make a they're going to make a run. And he's a really good coach. He's gotten them to play good team basketball. The biggest question for Denver, we talked about it last week, last week, but it's just how did they replace the Jeremy Grant minutes? I mean, he wasn't phenomenal, but I think he just provided a lot of balance next to Jokic, who was more of a 
you know, to the ground kind of players. So, so I think that'll be the only thing. It's future but MVP that, Jokic to you. That's true. They get Barton back. They get Harris back. They get a full season of MPJ. So I and I think if he can unlock MPJ such that it's not a detriment to have him out there for thirty minutes a game, you know, defensively, then they're going to be really, really good. And so I think if they're in the top two seed, he'll be in that conversation. The problem was there were a two seed last year. Uh, weren't they? Yeah, I think they were three. No, three, yeah, they're like, three seed. They're three seed, but yeah. flirting with the two seed. So that, that's the only thing. The they were two the year before. Two the year before. So they've kind of always been up there, and so he should have gotten his credit already. But this is this is also another one of those awards that doesn't really make sense. It's kind of like most approved, where it could literally go in a bunch of different directions depending on what criteria you want to use that year. So Yeah, I mean, look, if um, Philly jumps to a top two seed after they were six, Doc, they go to Doc Rivers. Yeah. Right, if if they're gonna be as good as we think they, they could be, I mean he's a clear candidate. Same with Steve or, Nash, or maybe, right? Or, or you don't think Scott Brooks, you know, with the resurgence of the Washington <laughs> Wizards. When we do go from nine to seven, I think we're gonna erect <laughs> a statue of Capitol Hill for him. <sighs> uh, uh, all right. Anything else uh before we conclude? We said this was gonna be a short pod, um, hour and twelve minutes. This is par for the course for thick and thin, you know. Yeah, man. I mean, there's just look. I, I love that the NBA is back. I, tomorrow's the most exciting day. I'm never excited by opening night. I mean, there are some good matchups, but I love it when all the action's happening. Yeah, all the box scores are popping, um, and our teams are never playing opening night. So that probably and our teams are never. Yeah, and, and the Kings are already like last year. I remember I was so excited for the Kings coming off the previous season, and they were down like 25 to Charlotte in the opening game, and quickly my hopes faded. <laughs> we we play MVP Joel tomorrow, and we're going to get yeah. massacred. So sure. The overreactions, we both know the overreactions will be flowing. If Washington wins, you're going to be talking about conference you know, finals appearance, and if they lose, you're going to be saying blow it up. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm going to send you a different Bradley Beal trade request each day that they lose a game. <laughs> but All right, so that's going to do it for us. We're going to be off next week, um, given it's the holidays. We're all in and and out of family stuff, but we'll be back right after the new year. Um, Before we sign off, also got to wish you a happy early birthday coming up on Thursday. Um, You didn't think I'd remember, but, you know. I'd think that, but thanks, man. Appreciate it. Another Um, year. (laughs) Yeah, another year. Well said. Um, hopefully the Kings, you know, provide you with a nice present. I, I assume they're not playing Thursday, but hopefully no. Wednesday, Friday. Here's my present: it's the Bucks beating the Lions on Saturday, which would give yeah. them their first postseason appearance in 14 years. That's the only present I want. Given, do the Bucks if they go one and one, are they in? Most likely, they're in. If they win on Sunday, they're in. If they okay, win so any one of their games, they're in. So there's like a. 99% chance they make the playoffs. Yeah. 99. Well, yeah, as long happens. as they don't blow it. Yeah. You can't and count. if they win out, they get the fifth seed. So if they win against Detroit and Atlanta, they're guaranteed to play NFC East winner. The Washington, so, your yeah. football team, Chase Young. You ever heard of him? Yeah, just keep um, Haskins away from the strip clubs, man, and then maybe you guys will... Uh, I don't care what he does as long as Alex Smith's healthy, but we're apparently trying to start this guy next week in a must-win <laughs> game. It's unbelievable. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we'll see what happens. Um, so I hope everyone has an awesome Christmas and holiday season. Um, yeah, man, you're going home. Enjoy time at home. Uh, yeah, it's been six months. Away for a while. Yeah, We're going to do it. 
that drive sucks, but you know, 13 hours, I feel like five hours is my actual limit if I can avoid it. You got to build up the podcast queue. You just got to like, you know, put off listening to some ones you want to listen to and then just save them for the ride. Well, I wish mm-hmm. I, I wish the Simmons were still a three hour extravaganza came out two days later. I already crushed it. <laughs> you already crushed it. So, <laughs> oh man, I've, uh, for another time, I need to talk about how so many things that were wrong with that pod. Flagrantly incorrect information. Especially the, the one line I do want to bring up is when Bill Simmons was like, and Brooklyn Nets, they, they also have a really good coach. And I was like, what on what basis are you saying Steve Nash is a good coach? Like, how is this an argument for them to be good? Is that you're already calling him a... And man. if he didn't like something, he would just be like, this is weird. And that's weird. Yeah. And this is weird. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess so. I, I guess that's what I was thinking too. But hey, uh, that's how you get sold to Spotify for $200 million. But yeah. All right. Everyone, please rate, review, and subscribe so we can also one day be sold for $200 million. Uh, thick <laughs> and thin. Email us at thickandthinhoops at, at uh, gmail.com. And, oh, before I go, we do have one last mailbag question here. Our friend Matt from Houston, he wanted to know, he texted me this. He wanted to know, in a game seven, you get one player. I guess all else equal in terms of your roster and your opponent. You get one player, Giannis or AD. Who do you want on your team? AD. What? That's easy. That's because you saw him twice. with LeBron. That's no, I didn't think twice AD. Yeah, but let's say LeBron's on both teams. AD. I don't know about that. What's the That's argument for Giannis? I mean, do you think Giannis is better than AD straight up? Yeah. Then that's the argument. No, but that's not the question. The question is, who would you rather have in a game seven? So what's, I mean, does AD have some clutch gene that I'd, uh, like, what would make him better in a game seven than Giannis? Create offense. When when a game seven where you're fighting for every possession, like trying to, buckets are at a premium, I'd trust AD more than I trust Giannis. That's what it comes down to. I said AD too, but I also think we got rose-colored glasses on because he had that, you know, ticket to heaven last season, and we we easily quickly forgot all of the trials and tribulations. Look, I agree, but it's one of those things where it's like, is Kyrie a top ten player? No, but what is he a top ten guy? I'd want in the finals game seven with the game on in you know on the line, of course. So the same argument when you look at AD versus Giannis. I agree. And this brings me to a separate rant that we have to say for another time about how when we evaluate players, it's not just position to position. It's also their expected role within their given team, which changes things drastically. Um, yeah. It's I mean, like, this, this also like this brings me back to the remember, I think we were talking about Brady and, and Josh Allen. Uh, <laughs> when were we doing that? In the RO thread, remember, there's a there's a I'd still take Brady. In, the quarterback uh, you trust. After yeah. Allen did what he did on in against Pittsburgh and then against let me, Denver. Let me see it in the postseason. Let me see it in the postseason. Oh, Same so thing with Let me see it in the postseason. All right. That's a wrap for us. Have a good break, everyone. We'll talk to you in the new year and uh, stay safe. <laughs>